Well, good morning. We are here in week two of a series we just started last week called Heroes of Faith. And like I said last week, it's kind of uh, Bible stories for adults going back and looking at some of these well-known Bible characters that we've all heard of. If you spend any time in the church, you've heard of people like Noah, who we talked about last week. And we often feel so familiar with these stories that we kind of gloss over them quickly as we look at Scripture. Sometimes we read them and we just think, I know the story of Noah and I know about the ark and the flood and all that. And so we kind of go through it quickly. So this is a chance for us to revisit some of these stories, to settle in for a handful of weeks and see what the Lord has to teach us through the lives of these heroes of faith. There's a reason why God chose to use these men and women, and there's ways in which he used them that we can learn from in our own faith journey as well. And so we're going to look at how they struggle, how they even doubted and failed at times, and yet how their lives stand as a testimony to the faithfulness of God seen throughout Scripture and throughout time. Before we jump in, though, to today's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that each and every week we can open your word and learn from it as it is living and active, that you have something to teach us from it. And Lord, I believe that everyone who's here in this room today, that you have brought us together today that you have something for each one of us. And so may you give us open ears and soft hearts to hear what that is, to understand your leading in our lives so that we may reflect you more and more each and every day. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my favorite authors that perhaps you've heard of is Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Wounded Healer, which is a phenomenal book, retells a tale from ancient India. And this is the tale that he tells. He says, four royal brothers decided each to master a special ability. Time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. The first one said, I've mastered a science by which I can take but a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. I, said the second, know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there's flesh on its bone. The third said, I am able to create its limbs if I have flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I concluded the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if, it form, if its form is complete. Therefore, the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their specialties. As fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's. One added flesh to the bone, the second grew its hide and hair, the third completed it with matching limbs, and the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on his creators and killed them all and vanished into the jungle. We, too, have a capacity to create what can devour us. Goals and dreams can sometimes consume us. Possessions and property can turn and destroy us unless we first seek God's kingdom and righteousness and allow him to breathe into us that he is the maker of life. We tend to think that things won't possess us, that we won't allow things to become perhaps an idol in our lives. When we think of idolatry and idols, we often think of a gold calf that the people of Israel made and worshipped, but we think we don't have idols in our life. I don't worship a statue. I don't really have to wrestle with idolatry, and yet the reality is that we are all faced with temptations to create idols in our lives. I looked up a list of the top 10 idolatry issues that we are faced with today, and this is what I came up with. Identity, money and material things, 
jobs and status, physical appearance, entertainment, sex, comfort, phones and technology, family and children, and influence and fame. See, I believe that we all wrestle with idolatry in our lives at some level. There is that temptation, that lure for us to give things more of a priority and importance in our lives than they should have, to take precedent even over God and his word in our lives. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham, and I promise I won't sing you any songs about Father Abraham and his many children, because that would not be a great thing for us to hear. But Abraham, too, had to wrestle with idolatry and whether he would allow something to take a higher priority than God in his life. Throughout the story of Abraham's life, we see many important markers of God leading him. To give you just a brief overview before we jump into our chapter for today, in Genesis 12:1, we see God call Abraham to leave his home, to follow God's leading. He doesn't even tell him where he's going, but he just calls him out of where he is and calls him to trust his leading. Then in Genesis 15, verses 17 and 18, God makes a covenant with Abraham to give his offspring the land. God is entering into this covenant with Abraham saying, we're partnering together. I'm promising to you that as you follow me, I will give your offspring this land. And then in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 5, God establishes this covenant with Abraham through the act of circumcision and promises to give Abraham a multitude of offspring and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, at that time, he has no children. He and his wife are getting older and older, and they have no children, yet God has said, I will multiply you, and I will make you a great nation. God takes Abraham on a journey and shows him his purpose in covenanting with Abraham to establish a nation, to establish a chosen people through Abraham's obedience. We're going to jump today into Genesis chapter 22 and see how Abraham handles what I would argue would be one of the biggest tests of his life and the question of where his true allegiance lies. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, we're going to spend our time there today. And you can follow along on the screen or you can grab a pew Bible or your phone. But Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. At this point, God has given Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac, even in their old age, miraculously gave them this son. So they have one son. So God tells him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So the Lord has spent 25 years building up this promise for Abraham that he would give him offspring. 25 years from when the Lord said, I will give you offspring and make them great, to when they finally receive this child, this gift of the Lord. The fulfillment of his promise to make Abraham a great nation starts with Isaac. And yet now God tells him, take that son and go and offer him to me. Put, him, put it all on the line for me. Abraham's response when God calls upon him is to say, here I am. It's a response of willingness and obedience, ready for what the Lord is going to tell him. And yet I imagine he couldn't have been ready for the instructions that the Lord gave him here. The idea of a burnt offering is one where everything is consumed. There is nothing left. 
It's not a partial offering, but everything is consumed. And so God calls Abraham to take what was promised to him, to take what the Lord had told him would occur, and to give it all back to the Lord. God tells him he will show him where to go, which reminds us of what happened in Genesis 12 before as well. I can't imagine what would be going on in Abraham's mind and in Sarah's mind too. She's largely left out of this story, but as a mother, I imagine that this was incredibly difficult for her as well. As they wrestled with God's instructions and yet God's promises that he had given them, how will those mesh together when God has told Abraham to now go and sacrifice his son? Could they obey? Would they disobey God's instructions? Well, Abraham knew God's promises in his life, but I'm sure he wondered how this could be part of the covenant that God had with him. Look with me at verse 3 to see what occurs. Verse 3 starts, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. So Abraham rose early in the morning and follows the Lord's instructions. He shows an immediate obedience which reminds us of other times in his life where we've seen Abraham do the same as God has given him instructions. Things like when he sent Hagar, his servant, on her way early in the morning after God had told him to. Abraham time and time again shows that he is obedient to the Lord's word. God tells him to do something, Abraham does it. God tells him to rise and go, he rises and goes. God tells him to take his son and to go and sacrifice him. And Abraham takes his son and the things for sacrifice and heads out following the Lord's instructions. Abraham, though, takes the time to cut the wood, it tells us in verse 3 there. It says he cut the wood for the burnt offering. This isn't usually a task that we would see a master do, that the head of the household, like Abraham, would be cutting the wood for the sacrifice. Perhaps he's delaying his going just a little bit, needs space to think, getting ready to be obedient to God's instructions. Or maybe he just needs to do something with his hands while he processes what it is he's about to do. But we see that he travels for three days with his two servants and with his son. I imagine there wasn't much to talk about on those three days as they traveled together and Abraham pondered what was about to occur. 
perhaps a lot of crying out to God that God would provide in this moment, that Abraham would place his trust in God. But Abraham gives instructions to his servants in verse 5 that we see showing some hope on Abraham's part. It says that he tells them, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In that I hear some hope from Abraham that both of them will return to the servants. A hope that God will intercede in the story that he is writing here with Abraham and Isaac. And in verse 7, we see Isaac with the obvious question, wondering where is the sacrifice? He's looking around, he's saying, we have the wood, we have the fire, but we're missing the lamb. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham tells him that God will provide one. Abraham knows that God is great, that God is greater even than his son. And this is a call to worship in this moment. It's a call to sacrifice for Abraham, to trust in God who is greater than Abraham is. And so Abraham places himself in a place of submission beneath the Lord's word and obeys the Lord. And yet I believe still has some hope and some expectation that God is going to provide. He doesn't know how, he doesn't know what that provision will look like, but he knows that God is good and he knows that God is faithful to provide. So he heads up to the mountain with Isaac. We see in verse 9 that he, he preps it all. It's not like he stops at that point. He lays out the wood, he binds Isaac and places him on top of the wood, which Isaac would have been old enough to fend for himself. He would have been old enough to fight his dad against this, but there's a willingness, I believe, to go along with what his dad isn't doing here, to trust his dad's trust in the Lord and for Isaac to trust the Lord as well. Abraham is willing to lay everything on the line to follow God and to be obedient, even to the point of binding his son and grabbing the knife, preparing to slaughter his son, trusting God. This obedience, as we read this, as you really think about it, feels crazy to us. And yet Abraham trusted God deeply, knowing that God is faithful to his word and believed that one way or another the Lord would provide for him. In verse 11, we see that the Lord does provide as he calls out, the angel of the Lord calls out to him. And once again, Abraham responds how he did earlier, saying, here I am an attitude of service to the Lord, even in this moment of desperation that I imagine Abraham would have had. Abraham knows and fears the Lord. We see that the Lord acknowledges that in verse 12, as he tells him not to lay a hand on Isaac, because he knows that he fears the Lord, seeing that he has not withheld his son, his only son, from God. It can be so easy to withhold stuff from the Lord, thinking that we know best. We're questioning God's way, and yet Abraham holds Isaac with open hands in this moment. Abraham moves forward, trusting in God's provision, and gets to see the beauty of that provision in this moment with his son. The Lord knows that Abraham fears him. More important than his son, more important than perhaps what his wife thought, more important than what society would maybe say or than his emotions, more important than what Abraham's heart, I'm sure, was telling him in that moment was Abraham's fear of the Lord and his obedience to God's word. You see, there's an importance in the fear of the Lord 
that largely has been removed in our culture in this day and age, and yet should be present in a healthy view of God. There's a healthy fear of God because He is holy and we are not. It's healthy to have reverence and fear for the Lord God. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. Who am I but dust? Who am I to question what God wants? And this is how Abraham lives his life as he moves forward, trusting that God's ways are greater than his, even when they don't make sense. Even when it would be easy to question his ways or to doubt what God's saying, Abraham is faithful and everything in his life is on the table for God. But the Lord doesn't leave Abraham in this moment without a sacrifice to make. He provides as the Lord always does. Look with me at verse 13. It says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So God is faithful not only to provide a way for Abraham to not sacrifice his son, but God is faithful to provide a sacrifice for Abraham in that moment, providing a ram that's caught in the thicket. Isaac was to be the sacrifice. He was to be offered up in Abraham's mind, but the ram became the sacrifice instead. This is a foreshadowing of what Christ does. We deserve a death, and yet Christ comes and is sacrificed on our behalf. He is that perfect lamb who takes our place. Instead of us dying for our sins, he dies a death for our sins on our behalf. So I see a foreshadowing in this text of what is to come with Christ and the provision of that sacrifice. We see in the text that God, even though he's covenanted with Abraham, he's now moving forward saying he's going to bless Abraham because of his obedience. His obedience to God is amazing. It gives us a lot as followers of Christ to strive for in our own lives. And yet the result through his obedience is the Lord's blessing, not just on Abraham, but on his offspring as well, and ultimately on the earth. The Lord tells Abraham his blessings will be to multiply his offspring as the stars of the heavens and the sands that is on the seashore. In addition to this, he tells him that his offspring will possess the gates of his enemies. So he's going to make his offspring just massive in number. They're going to possess the gates of their enemies, so they're going to have a rule over their enemies. And finally, his, through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because Abraham obeyed God's voice. Because he was willing to obey the voice of the Lord in his life. Because he placed God's voice as the top priority in his life. Nothing else came above the word of the Lord. The obedience of Abraham will change the world. 
His faithfulness has a direct impact upon the nations that will follow. What an amazing blessing that God gives him in this moment. And as we see it unfold throughout time in Scripture as God blesses Abraham's descendants. The testing that Abraham has gone through here is no minor testing. It would have challenged him to his core, and yet we see in the text that nothing gets in the way of Abraham's willingness to follow the Lord. The question becomes, is the same true for us? Do we allow things to get in the way of our willingness to follow God? Do we give things more of a priority in our life than God's word? Or do we have a similar obedience that Abraham shows here? Abraham is a hero of faith, one who is the patriarch of the faith, and one who we can learn from as we seek to grow in our own faith as we journey after Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to suggest three ways that I think we can learn from Abraham's life how we can seek to place the Lord as the top priority in our life, to not allow other things to become idols that take precedent over God and His Word, but to keep Him in the first position where He belongs. And the first I would suggest is the importance of listening to God. Dana Wisniewski tells the story of a Native American and his friend who were in downtown New York City. They were walking near Times Square in Manhattan. It was during the noon lunch hour, and the streets were filled with people. As you can imagine, in New York City, cars were honking their horns, and taxicabs were squealing around the corners, sirens were wailing, and the sounds of the city were almost deafening. Suddenly, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. His friend said, what? You must be crazy. You can't possibly hear a cricket in all of this noise. No, I'm sure of it, the Native American said. I heard a cricket. That's crazy, his friend said once again. The Native American listened carefully for a moment and then walked across the street to a big cement planter where some shrubs were growing. He looked into the, into the bushes beneath the branches, and sure enough, he located a small cricket. His friend was utterly amazed. That's incredible. You must have superhuman ears, he said. No, said the Native American. My ears are no different from yours. It all depends on what you're listening for. But that can't be, said the friend. I could never hear a cricket in all this noise. Well, yes, it's true, came the reply. It depends on what's really important to you. Here, let me show you. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a few coins, and discreetly dropping them on the sidewalk. And then, with the noise of the crowded streets still blaring in their ears, noticed every head turn within 20 feet and looked to see the money that had tinkled on the pavement and question if it was theirs. See what I mean? asked the Native American. It all depends on what's important to you. You see, we have to wrestle with the question of what's important to us. What is it that we are training our ears and our minds and our hearts to? And I believe that listening to God and developing an ear for His voice should be a top priority in our life and in our faith journey. It's not always an easy task. It's not always something that comes naturally, and yet it's something that each of us should be pursuing after in our faith journey. Abraham's ability to hear God and to understand His instructions played such a pivotal role throughout his life. So let me suggest four simple ways that you can begin this week in growing in your ability to listen to the Lord. The first is to find somewhere quiet, to find a quiet space without your phone right next to you, without the TV on or music on, but to find somewhere where you can find some peace and quiet 
without interruption, even just for 10 minutes a couple times this, this week. And once you find that space, start by asking God to speak. I believe that God honors our desires when they are pure, and desiring to hear God speak is definitely a pure desire in your life. And so ask God, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Help me to hear your voice. And then listen. We often say we don't hear God speak, but how often do we actually listen intently to try to hear God speak? I remember one time when I was in college, I was talking to the youth about hearing God speak, and I was thinking about my life and thinking about how I would wake up in the morning and I would turn on my CD player and start listening to a CD, and then I'd hop in my car and I'd drive with the radio on till I got to class, and then I'd be engaging with people all day in class, and I'd go to work, and as I drove, I'd listen to something on the radio. And then when I got home, I'd turn on the TV, and I'd listen to the TV until it was time to go to bed. And then I'd turn off the TV and go sleep. And I'd complain, I can't hear God speak. I can't hear the voice of the Lord. And yet, I had no space in my life to actually listen to God, to actually hear His voice. Can God speak over the noise in our lives? Definitely. And will God at times? Yes. But I believe that it is that much harder for us to hear God speak when our lives are chaotic and noisy and constantly full. And so setting aside time and intentionally listening and then responding when we hear God speak is important. And it's a process to grow in. Don't get discouraged if the first time you sit down to hear the Lord speak, you don't hear anything and you just sit in silence for 10 minutes. It's something that you will grow in your ability the more time you spend in it. And the fourth suggestion I would say for listening and hearing the Lord speak is to read His Word. God speaks through His Word. Read it out loud and you will hear the Lord speak. And listen, He is speaking through His Word as you read and listen to Him speaking. The second suggestion that I would encourage us in today is to trust His goodness. Throughout the story of Abraham, one sees the goodness of God. Throughout Scripture, we see time and time again where God in His abundance of goodness shows it and lavishes it upon those who follow Him, on those who obey Him. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to His power at work within us. We serve a good God, one who loves to care for those who follow Him. And we can know that He is good we have seen the testimony throughout His Word. We've seen the testimony in our own lives of God's goodness. And so we can trust His goodness. I like the way that Haddon Robinson, the famous preacher, expresses this thought. He says, With Him the calf is always the fattened calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable, and the peace passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure His goodness by drops, like a druggist filling a prescription, it comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of His gifts, what a difference it would make in our lives. If every meal were taken as a gift from His hand, it would be almost a sacrament. God's goodness is present in the life of Abraham. God's goodness is present throughout Scripture. His goodness is present here at Springfield Church of God. And God's goodness is present in your life as well. You can trust in this fact. You can give yourself fully obedient to His instructions and His words because you can know that He is good. And the last suggestion I would have for us today is to remember 
the importance of obedience. Eugene Peterson shares a favorite story of his, one that he said has held him fast several times throughout his life, and it's of Gregory of Nyssa, who lived in Cappadocia, a region in modern Turkey in the 4th century. And perhaps you've heard of Gregory of Nyssa, but his older brother was a bishop who had arranged for him to be appointed bishop of a small and obscure and unimportant town of Nyssa around A.D. 371. Gregory objected. He didn't want to be stuck in such an out-of-the-way place, but his brother told him that he didn't want Gregory to abstain distinction from his church, but rather to confer distinction upon it. Gregory went to where he was placed and stayed there. His lifetime of work in that place, a backwater community, continues to be a major influence in the Christian church worldwide. It's so easy to think that we know the best plans, that we have the best map for our lives or the best way that we can obey God. And we think, I know the steps that are planned for me. And yet, so often those are our steps rather than God's. Gregory didn't want to be in this small town. He thought he had a better idea of where he could be used, of where his gifts could be utilized. And yet, that's where God wanted him to be. And that's where God wanted to use him to further the Lord's name. You see, God's plan is always the best plan. Thankfully, he can see the whole picture and we cannot. Our role as followers of Christ is not to figure out the whole plan. It's not to have the whole map in front of us, but it is to seek obedience to our Lord, our Master, to put his word and his calling upon our lives as a priority above everything else. So this week, as we go out from our community of faith, may we evaluate if there are things that we have allowed to have priority above Jesus. Are there areas of our lives that we have held back and perhaps not fully surrendered to Jesus? In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer puts it like this. He says, to say yes to Jesus is to say no to a thousand other things. As the monks used to say, every choice is a re-enunciation, sorry, a renunciation. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to living by my own definition of good and evil, to spending my time and money however I want, to the hyper-individualism and anti-authoritativism and the full-tilt hedonistic pursuit of our day. It's a thousand tiny deaths that all lead up to one massive life. It's not a futile grasping for control, but the freedom of yielding to love. It's saying to Jesus, whatever, wherever and whenever I am yours. So let us put aside the things that are getting in the way of following Jesus and say yes to Jesus, whatever, whenever, and wherever we are yours. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the example that you've given us in Abraham of faithful obedience. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to live our lives with a similar obedience. Lord, that we would place your way as a priority in our lives above all else. So Lord, if there are things that are getting in the way of following you obediently, may you bring those to our minds, that we can confess those, that we can confess those idols, Lord, receive your forgiveness and move forward with you as the one who is the priority. Lord, it is our desire that our lives would be fully surrendered to you. So, Lord, may you guide us and lead us in these efforts. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the grace that you extend to us when we make mistakes. 
We thank you for your love that you have shown us. We pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.